Hello, everybody. This week's parsha is Parsha's Chukas. And the parsha begins with the words, Zeis Chukas HaTerah. This is the chayk, the decree of the Torah. And then it goes on to describe the halachas, the mitzvah of Paraduma. And all the Mepharshim, the Arachayim, they ask a question, why is it called Chukas HaTerah, the chayk of the Torah? It should say, Zeis Chukas HaPara. This is the chayk of Paraduma. Like we find Makar in Pesach, the Torah says, Zeis Chukas HaPesach. Why is this known as Chukas Hatir? So, I saw Ramesha Feinstein in the Sefer Drash. Ramesha explains as follows. He says, What's the chayk? What's this, this decree, this thing that no one can understand about Paraduma? So, the Gemara tells us the main fundamental, so to speak, difficulty with Paraduma is the fact that <clears throat> the dichotomy of it. On one hand, it's Metaher, it purifies those who are tummy person who touched a dead person, the person who touched a dead body, they put paraduma ashes on them, they become tar, they become pure. And yet, the person who sprays the ashes of paraduma, he becomes tummy. How could it be, how could it be that one thing is, on one hand, it makes things pure, on the other hand, it seems to be evil, so to speak, and it makes things tummy. How could that be? Says the Marshall Feinstein, this is something which is fundamental throughout the Torah. Zeis chukas this idea that one thing is not necessarily good or not necessarily bad. It goes both ways. He says, for example, covet, honor. When it comes to a person himself, he should run away from honor. A person is supposed to be an unloved, supposed to be someone who's humble, who's modest. Who, he doesn't want honor. He runs away from it. Yet, when it comes to another person, to your friend, a person is supposed to be worried about his friend's honor to the 10th degree, saying they're trying to make sure to give him cover, trying to mechabit him, trying to think through how he could give him the most covered, how can he not hurt his honor. And you find this throughout Torah. Who's the biggest, one of the biggest tzaddikim we ever know? Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu is somebody who, he willing to throw himself into a fire for Hashem's sake. He's somebody who, Torah tells us, he tells his wife, he tells to Sarah after many, many years of marriage, now I recognize that, that you're a beautiful woman. Says Rashi, it means till then he didn't look at her. They're going down to Mitzrayim. It was practical. He had to check. He had to see. So he looked at her. And yet, this Tzadik Avramavinu, what happens? He gets these malachim that come to him. These people who he thinks are just regular passerby. And he becomes the biggest Baal there is. He's making tongues, crusted in mustard. He's serving them butter, bread, fresh bread. Why? Said the Baal mustard because Yenim's Gashmias, someone else's physical pleasure, is your ruchnius, that's your madrega. Gashmias, physicality, can be two things. For a person himself, it can be destructive. For somebody else, it could be a mitzvah. And that is the chukas that's going on in this exposure. The ability to recognize and to balance the idea that things are not one-sided. They could be, for sometimes they could be a good thing, and sometimes they could be a bad thing. And you have to understand that and know how to work with them. So I want to say a story on this concept. There's there were, one of the yeshivas of Philadelphia yeshivas at Mendel Kaplan. He was an amazing person. There's a whole book about him. But he used to teach in yeshiva the whole week in Philadelphia. And then he would drive back to Brooklyn where his family was for Shabbos. And in the summer his family was in the bungalow colonies up in the Catskills. And once a bucher who got a ride with him back to the Catskills for Shabbos, and they're driving in the car, 
And Armando told him, just, you know, if you don't mind, I have to stop off on the way. I'm going to go a little out of the way. I have to go to the store somewhere, pick up some pickles. Okay, interesting, fine. They're driving, they go, they go out of the way, they get the, the store, they get, Armando goes into the store, he comes out with a jar of pickles. Fine, and they go up to the Catskills. So, the bucker can't hold himself in. He's like, Rebbe, like, what's with these pickles? Like, why are we getting, going all out of the way to get these pickles? He told them an interesting thing. He said, you know, I don't see my wife every day. I'm in yeshiva. I only see her once a week. And for her, it's, you know, so she makes, she puts, she puts a lot of effort into making the Shabbos meal to make it special. She puts, she makes really good food. She tries to make all my favorite stuff. She tries to make it perfect. And, you know, of course, I always tell her thank you. I always try to show her that I appreciate it. But she has a suspicion that, you know, I don't really care about these kind of things, about food and gashmias, right? She, you know, she, she, she has that suspicion about me. So I go and I pick up this jar of pickles and I make a whole big deal how I like these pickles and they're a big deal by me because I want her to recognize and to think that I'm somebody who does care about these little details and that way she'll get full of, she'll, she'll get a sense of you know, gratitude when I say thank you for her for the meal she makes for me on Shabbos. Everybody's that your mental Kaplan is somebody who really couldn't care less about pickles, he couldn't care less about this food, but he could care about his wife's feelings. And for him... He's willing to go make, spend his time, and to make a whole big deal out of a thing of pickles to make somebody else feel good. The parsha tells us that ultimately para duma is a chayk. It's a chayk. It's something which can't be understood. Rabbi Yuchim Lavavitz Mashkiach of Mir Yeshiva Zatzal in his Sefer Das Torah he asked the question: Why couldn't Hashem tell us the reason for para duma? What's the big deal? Just tell us. And you ask your wife, why do you like the Because. Why, why? I'm not saying. Why, Hashem can say, why can't Hashem tell us? Ah, you're going to say there is no reason. Hashem didn't tell us because there's no reason for it. It's a decree. He wants to see if we'll listen. He says, clearly that's not true. You look in the Pasuk in Kehelis. Shalom Melech says, Echkima, I became wise. many and still far from me. Says the Medrash Tanakhuma. is talking about Paraduma. Shalom Melech gained a lot of knowledge from it. He tried to understand. He got stuff from it. He even managed to grasp certain parts of it. But still, to fully understand it, it was Rechaika of men. It was too far from him. You see clearly that there's what to understand. There is what to understand. And there's a reason for it. But it's just too elusive to fully understand it. To fully grasp it, nobody can fully grasp it. So if there is a reason for it, why didn't Hashem just tell us what the reason is? Why did he make it so complicated and so hard to understand that no one could grasp it? Why not make it simple? He says a fundamental point. He says, you tell a guy, look, you see this table? The guy says, yeah. Like, do you understand how this table works? He says, sure. It has four legs. It has a plank on top. It stands. You can eat on it. I got it. So that's true. Well, do you understand why he needs to have four legs, not three legs? So yeah, well, there's gravity. And then you start to ask him why this material, not that material. What makes it that the things keep together? And you get to a point where he doesn't fully understand all the mechanics, all the physical realities behind a table, but the basic idea of a table he gets. What that means is, in everything in life, there's a simple understanding, and then there's a complex, more detailed understanding, which not necessarily everyone gets. And the same thing applies to mitzvahs. There's no mitzvah technically which we fully, fully understand. Yet some mitzvahs, Hashem gave them a sort of more obvious, simple reason, and some mitzvahs he didn't. Now, why did he do that? So, the idea is as follows. You have a teacher who's teaching a student. Now, 
that reason why one person is a teacher and one person is a student is because the teacher knows significantly more than the student, and he's trying to teach him and explain to him things which he doesn't understand himself as a student. So therefore, if the teacher only taught the student things the student, student can fully understand, the student will be limited, because there's a lot of things which he doesn't know and can't fully understand all the reasons behind them yet, but he needs to learn there from his teacher. Says Yerucham, the proper teacher does the following. First, he teaches the student things that you could grasp on a very simple level, and he builds a relationship, he builds a trust. Once the student sees the teacher is smart, he's saying things that make sense, he has a lot of knowledge, then he'll begin to accept from him things which he can't fully understand, but if he gets the whole picture, at some point he will. But there has to be that leap of faith when the student is willing to trust his teacher to learn and to understand things that are above his grasp of knowledge. Hashem is the ultimate teacher. Hashem is telling us that there's some things which you can grasp, which are easy, and there's a lot of stuff out there which are way above your comprehension. I need you to trust me. I'm going to explain to you the reasons for some things, for some mitzvahs, on a very simple level. And then there's going to be a lot of stuff which you have to see that you're not going to understand because they're way above you. You have to trust me. Hashem made there to be mitzvahs out there which are so complicated and so hard for us to understand. So we should know and recognize that, yes, we're limited. We don't have full grasp of stuff. But we have that trust in Hashem that everything He does has a reason, it has a purpose, and we're trusting Him because of that relationship that we have with Him, that everything He has is for a reason, and one day we'll understand Him, it's Hashem. The parasha continues, and the parasha says how Miriam died, and the water, the, the Jewish people stopped having water in the desert. It says, Thomas shah Miriam, and Miriam died, and because Miriam died, Miriam was the one who in her merit, Kai had the Be'er, and when she died, there's no more water, and that's when began the whole story of the Memoriva of Klai fighting with Moshe Rabbeinu about the lack of water. But you look at Rashi over there, and Rashi says something interesting. Rashi said, Thomas Shah Miriam, Miriam died. He says, Rashi, Miriam died the same as Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron died, which is what? Misas Nishika. This special level, so to speak, the highest level a person can reach, where when the person dies, it's like a kiss from Hashem. Hashem basically just kind of takes their soul out in the most painless manner. It's the highest madriga a human being can come to. And Miriam had reached that madriga. Yet, by Aaron and by Moshe, the Torah speaks it out. By Miriam, it doesn't say it. it. says Rashi, the Gemara, that although Miriam reached that madriga, the Torah didn't want to speak it out because G'nai hula. It's a G'nai, it's, a, it's almost like an embarrassing thing, it's a shameful thing. And everyone who reads this Rashi struggles, what's the shameful thing here? We're talking about somebody who's a tzaddikis to the highest level, and we're saying that Hashem, you know, Hashem gave her Mises Nashika. What's the shameful thing? Some people want to say, you know, it's shameful to say that Hashem kissed a woman. So there's Shimon Schwab, it can't be. First of all, anybody who ever read Shir Hashirim clearly understands that we're not ashamed about such a thing, because the whole Shir Hashirim is a muscle, it's a parable between Hashem being the man, and Klai Yisrael being the woman, and it goes, it says, all about, Hashem kisses us. And number two, says Hashem and Schwab, you find that Hashem is seen as our father, and everyone in Klai Yisrael is seen as a son or a daughter. There's nothing shameful between a father kissing a daughter, so that can't be what Rashi means. 
So what does Rashi mean? It's a shameful thing, so to speak. It's a G'nai Hula. So I saw a beautiful shot from Shemshem Pincus. This is Gemara in Avodah The Gemara says that Rechanina ben Trajan, at the time of the Romans made a prohibition to teach Torah in public, he went and he kind of ignored them, and he made a huge gathering to taught Torah publicly, and he risked his life to teach Torah. And the Gemara describes how his Rebbe called him in, and he gave him muster. He said, don't you realize the Romans, Hashem gave them power over us, we're in Gullus now, and they're going to kill you for this, and you're doing the wrong thing. Fine, back and forth, they debated it. At the end, Ebchenin Amitrajan asks his Rebbe, Ma haba? What's my chelik in haba? His Rebbe asks him, Klum maisa baliyadcha, did any good deed come to your hand? So he tells him, yeah, thinks about it. Yeah, there was one time, there was money at Stucker from Purim, and other money at Stucker, and I made a mistake, and I ended up compensating Stucker from my own pocket. Okay. He says, okay, fine. If that's what you did, you get a Lamhaba. Anyone who reads this Gemara, you're blown away. Talking about Rechanina ben Trajan, talking about one of the greatest Amaroyim who ever lived. He's somebody, I'm sorry, who ever lived. He's somebody who risked his life to teach Torah. Ultimately, he was killed like Kedesh Hashem. He's one of the Asar Harugi Machos. He mentioned them every Tisha B'Av and every Yom Kippur. They're schus to, on the behalf of Klai. So, talking about one of the Tzadiki Yisoyde Elam. Did anything good ever? Did you do anything good? He's like, yeah, I one time gave some stucco money. Really, that's it? That's all. That's the only maisa. The man did mitzvahs his whole life. He learned everything. How can we say klum maisa baliyadcha? So, Farshim explained what it means is: Did you ever do anything which nobody knew about? Did you ever do a maisa, an act, a good deed, which was completely panemius? Completely internal, completely, there's no one else knew about it, no one else will ever know about it. A maisa mitzvah, which, between you and Hashem. Panemius, real, real panemius. That's what he was looking for. That was going to be his ticket to Olam Hava. Miriam Anavia was a tzaddikist to the point where she gave Klaistral water and her schus for 40 years in Midbar. She's somebody who reached levels of Nevua, one of the highest levels. In a certain sense, she's someone almost equal to Maisha and Aaron. She's up there. She's a Tzadikis in the fullest sense, but there's a difference. As a Tzadikis, she brought out a Nakuda of Pneumius. She brought out a Nakuda, this concept of doing things, reaching the highest Madrigas in a way that's only between you and Hashem, between her and Hashem. No one had to know about it. It wasn't there. She wasn't giving big shiurim in public. That wasn't the point. The point was it was panemius. It was between her and Hashem. For her to speak out her madregas, says the Gemara, it was a genayhula. It was something that she felt was shameful. For Miriam, who brought out that concept, that that that, that mission of having a life of panemius, of completely whatever you're doing is private. It stays between you and Hashem. Pure doing things in the oifen of panemius. For her to have anything about her said publicly, that's a gnai for her. And it's a madrigi that we can all work for, of, of, of having certain parts of our life in a way of panemius, of pure, just me and Hashem, and it has to be real, and no one else has to know about it. And that's the madrigi Miriam, Miriam Hanavia managed to reach. At the end of the parsha, the parsha describes how Klai Yisrael was attacked because they complained they were attacked by snakes. And the snakes would bite people, and people were dying, and Moshe Rabbeinu went and he made 
this copper, this bronze serpent on a, on, a, on a pillar. And the people would look, after they got bitten, they would look at this, at this serpent, and they would get healed. And the Gemara Rosh Hashanah says, how could it be? It can't be that the, just simply by looking at this copper serpent, they would get healed. Says the Gemara, no. The idea was that when they would look at it, they would mishabed libam lavinu shemayim. They would enslave their hearts to Hashem, and through the tefilas and through that committing themselves to Hashem, that's what would heal them. Now, the question is, okay, so the idea was basically at the daven. So what's the point of looking at the copper serpent? If it's about daven to Hashem, so daven Hashem, who needs a copper serpent? What's the point of the copper serpent? So I saw a beautiful shot from David Salvatrix at Sal. He says like this, he says, the Ramban tells us that, whatever, medically, spiritually, for a person, a victim of a snake bite or any kind of animal bite, one of the worst things for them is to see that animal again. It makes them worse. It makes them, it makes their, it makes them, it's almost more dangerous. And in general, for a person to kind of relive that experience is very, very hard. And the natural thing a person wants to do is to avoid it. Whenever a person is faced with a problem, something that is something that needs Yeshua from, right? So a lot of times people try to kind of avoid the issue, try not to think about it, try to avoid it. Yet the highest madriga of a tachin is when a person recognizes the full extent of the situation, he recognizes the full extent of the danger he's in, and beside that, to recognize that even though the situation is that bad, Hashem could still help me. Klai Yisrael was being told they had to get themselves to the highest level of betachen. If they wanted to pull out of this, so to speak, the situation of the snakes, they had to get themselves to a point where they look that snake in the eye, they have that nechash and nechashish in front of them, they look at it, they recognize what's going on, they get themselves to the highest level of, there's no hope, but I have to, only Hashem could save me now. Betachen isn't when a person hides from the reality. A person has to recognize their reality, recognize the severity of the situation, and recognize that even with all that, Hashem still runs the world and He can take over and override that. And that's the highest level of Betachen, and that's where the schus Hashem came and overrode nature and saved Klai Yisrael and healed them from. Shalom B'Zayek, have a wonderful Shabbos. Shabbos.